Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Not bad. Three tries. I think it was more than that. That was a couple. All right. Hey, hey guys, welcome. Episode 106. It's uh, September 17th. You're listening to, maybe even watching, Human Factors Cast. Uh, what is it? Episode 106. I already said that. What are we, do- what are we doing, Blake? <laughs> today we're recording a podcast we're- called Human Factors Cast. Oh, that's today. Okay, we're yeah, talking so- about Human Factors News. <laughs> okay, so I'm your host, Nick Rome, joined today by my friend and yours, Mr. Blake Arnsdorf. Uh, we got a lot to talk about today. Uh, digital devices altering our brains, question mark? Is it a thing? We'll find out. We'll break it down. DARPA wants brain interfaces for able-bodied warfighters. That sounds cool. We'll break it down. Sp- <laughs> I'm on a good one today, folks. We're Get down. yeah. We're all right. SpaceX announces plan to do an <laughs> announces plan to announce a plan to send somebody around the room around around the what, room. Should I just start, should we just start over or plan just roll with plan it? Let's just roll with it. Plan. Anyway, uh, around the moon in a planned spaceship and Apple's latest watch can sense falls and heart irregularities. Man, it is a special one today. It is Monday and we're doing good. It's a Monday. We're doing okay. <laughs> Well, we've announced SpaceX's plan to announce a plan, so that's good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, wow, that was rough. Okay, hi guys, welcome. Uh, Blake, what's going on with you? Man, <laughs> so many things, so many things. So over the weekend, at least one of us. <laughs> yeah, at least one of us. So over the weekend, I took the step into my the next chapter of my life. I'm now 30 years old, um, and so one thing that I went and did for the first time was try and figure out how to ride a mountain bike down a single track. Now, for anybody who doesn't know what that is, it's basically riding a mountain bike down a really small trail for the first time. That's dangerous. It was a little dangerous, but it was still lots and lots of fun. So you turn 30 and you're like, F it. I'm going to like... Let's get let's, nuts! Yeah, live yeah. fast, die hard. Yeah, it was one of those things that I hadn't I hadn't done in a long time. <laughs> I'd ridden a, ridden a mountain bike before, but Elise and I decided we let's, let's go on a trail ride at like 5 in the morning with somebody we don't know. So we both had to basically figure out how to use the two different sets of gears on a bike. Plus, I, I haven't ridden a bike with brakes on it in probably, I don't know, five years. Okay. So it was, try, it was trying to figure out how to use the brakes again without throwing myself over the handlebars. But it was a it was a fun moment. It was one of those learn by doing moments that I haven't had in a while. Where it's just like figure it out and you'll be all right. Go jump in the deep end. You'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. Jump in the deep end. Don't die, but just swim a little bit. It'll be fine. So you turned thirty and had had this uh, amazing time of your life. Meanwhile, I'm sitting over here on the couch and did nothing productive this weekend because damn it, I I deserve it. Uh, actually, that's not true. I I actually had a pretty. You don't ab- deserve it. No, I, it's not true. You know what? I, I guess I can talk about one or two things. Um, let's. <laughs> First thing, I just noticed that you said I don't deserve it. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> I totally second, deserve it. <laughs> I actually did stuff this weekend, and it didn't feel like I did stuff. So, uh, what'd you do? Funny story. I went into so first off uh, Friday morning. I guess I I get the the low pressure tire uh, icon in my car, and I'm oh, like, I hate that. Ah, crap. Well, I got to stop by Chevron and fill up in the morning. So I did that. And, uh, you know, I, I had had this problem a couple of weeks back and uh, thought nothing of it. You know, I was like, I'm low on air, whatever, I'll fill it up. And, and then I got it Friday again. And I was like, I'm probably got a slow leak. And I was like, I, I just won't take it in until it becomes an everyday thing. Saturday, it became an everyday thing. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, that sucks. Took it in. And um, you know what? I, I took it in and 
they said, you know, it had been a certain amount of time since I bought my tires. So it was, everything was free pretty much. He goes outside, he looks at all four of my tires. Three of them are fine. One is like balding and it's like the, the passenger side front axle. I didn't realize this because I never see my passenger side front axle. Um, That's not something you go looking at. No, it's not. And, and it's not surprising to me. I make a lot of hard left turns. Um, just in my daily drive, right? Like all my turns are practically lefts. So it's, it's not surprising to me that that one in particular is, is, uh, troublesome. So I went in, paid for my stuff. It was seamless. I, you know, hung out for two hours and did other things, errands and stuff with our other car and then got my stuff back and it was, it was fine. Epic. Yeah. That's, that's so wait, why, why was it balding so bad? Just on the left side though, where you're, where you're like tires out of alignment. Did I say left. I meant right. My, my, passenger side front yeah, tire. Yeah, I made up the left. That was my yeah, fault. Yeah, that was your fault. Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I don't think they're out of alignment. I think, honestly, I just make so many left turns, and a lot of the left turns are going downhill. So I'd imagine that the gravity and the weight of the car, I don't know how that all works, but just that one tire was like... Eating it. Yeah. Seriously. That's crazy, so but it, I'm glad it's all fixed. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, I also got Cat Dad updates. Uh, so Cat Watch, meow. Yeah, Cat Watch 2018. A few weeks ago, we said we are fostering a cat. Um, as kind of a dry run for actually fostering kittens eventually. I don't know. Now, so, when he says we, he means him and his partner, not me and Nick ho- fostering human yeah, factors. Not, not, uh, cats. <laughs> Although, that would be great. We just had like a little kitten just kind of hanging out right here on the we desk. We get so many more views on we, YouTube. We probably would get a ton <laughs> more views. Speaking of which, go like, subscribe. We need 100 things. There it is. Uh, so, that was my begging for the week. So, that's, that's done. I like it. Cat Dad update. Uh, this is going worse than I would have anticipated. Oh, no. <laughs> That's not what I expected. <laughs> Why is it bad? Well, we got, you know, uh, there's still... So, Sammy, the third one, he, he is the boy cat. He's eight years old. And my girls are like two and four. Uh, so, they're younger and they're very territorial of their place. And Sammy just wants to play. Sammy wants to play with them. He's like, thanks for letting me in your house. Let's, let's hang out. Let's play. And the other girls are like, no. I don't want to play. No playing. Uh, let's not play. Let's you 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 stay in line here. This is our house. Oh goodness. Um, so there's a lot of hissing and um, chasing in the house, uh, and we bought diffusers that don't work. Um, What's a diffuser? Like like pheromone diffusers that say like hey like relaxing. Oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. You can buy actual like pheromones that diffuse uh, the situation. Presumably, I don't know. You can buy them. Epic. I don't know. Do if they, they work? No. Oh, bummer. So we put it, and and this kind of reminds me of that conversation we had a couple months ago with um, how do you sort of maximize the? Was this on Infinite or was this on a normal episode where we kind of maximize the the flow of air throughout the house? With no, the this fan? was that was on this right or sorry the normal podcast that was on that this was something one. I was having a hard time with. Yeah. So uh, with that in mind, we kind of did the same thing where we put the first diffuser in kind of this centralized area where we have our bedroom and the guest bedroom where the the, the third cat is staying, and uh, it, it's kind of the only junction between the common space and the two rooms. So we're thinking that since that is the confluence of these three um, areas, that that is the perfect place to put the diffuser. It's not working. I don't know. Uh, we're trying to be very accommodating to all three cats. Uh, it is a struggle. Um, Sounds yeah. like you're doing everything you could possibly do. I'm sorry it's not working out as easily as you were hoping. That's okay. It's, that's Cat Dad update. 
Maybe next um, week things may- will be different. Maybe next week. Maybe I'll come back for Catwatch uh, 2018 next week and say everything's fine. Um, okay, Blake, we got some programming notes here. Uh, I already said the like subscribe thing, but I said it again. Hey, we're on Alexa. Amazon's Echo device. Alexa, play Human Factors Cast. I said that. Uh, All right, check. I'm checking the boxes today, folks, because it is one of those days. All right, so we got one more exciting thing to talk about, and this one I'm actually going to put some effort into because I know a lot of you have been looking forward to this, and uh, thank you to everyone who has entered our contest for free annual registration for HFES 2018. We are ready to announce the winner. And the winner is... Kelly Soom, congratulations, Kelly Soom. We are in contact with you through email, so go check your email. Make sure uh, you reply to us. And uh, again, thank you to everyone who has entered. Uh, be sure to stay tuned for more updates. We are hoping to do more of these throughout the year, maybe for potentially other things that of equal or greater value. Like a Human Factors Cast t-shirt. Yeah, yeah, of equal or greater value, Blake. I'm not talking about just T-shirts. That's kind of a lame giveaway. We will <laughs> I'm on we'll a good see. one today. I'm on a good one today. Speaking of HFES, that is in two weeks. Have you got your tickets and your plane and your hotel? Yeah, I've got yeah. all the goodies. My got credit the... card says so. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to be there. And um, you know what? I will have to say. Will you? Maybe, you know what? I, maybe that's what I should have used as my banter because my inbox is trashed right now we are sending out invites to uh uh quite a, an impressive roster of names um we posted a little preview on our slack no names on the slack but uh just in case anyone decides to change it up or say no um uh, but we are we have like what 18 people on the list we're gonna be so busy at human or hfes at human year. Yeah, it's going to be really <laughs> intense, but I'm really excited to be able to sit down and actually interview some of these people because this is some some of the bigger names and human factors in general. Yeah, I think uh, all of our listeners will be quite pleased with the with the uh, with the lineup that we got. And um, just to kind of give you all a heads up, I, I just I'm pulling up the email now just to see because I don't know if you saw this, Blake, but uh, yeah, we got we got quite a packed schedule. We're gonna have uh, looks like a couple Monday night interviews. Uh, with some folks from Ergo X. This is, um, again, this is all subject to change. I'm just giving you a preview of some of this stuff. We got we got some of the um, the plenary speakers on the list, uh, some notable names in human factors, uh, diversity panelists, uh, women in human factors. We got a lot of really solid, solid names on this list. We got some stuff Monday night, some Tuesday morning, some Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, Thursday night, just all over the place. All over the place. And like I said, we will have a booth there. So please come check it out. We will be talking to these people live. We'll have little uh, speakers set up so you can actually hear what they're saying in the moment. It won't be a quiet event. It'll be quite a spectacle. So do stop by. Come see us. Uh, and you know what? We'll hang out a little bit after the after the recording's done, and we'll say hi to y'all. And, and uh, I just said y'all. I'm yeah. Good. Who are you? I don't know. Hey, y'all. I don't know what's going on today. This wow. A real weird day. But I'm seriously, just, do come hang out and say hi because I would love to meet anybody that hears us talking to the, some of these people or is a fan of maybe Human Factors cast to be yeah. glad to meet anyone. Or maybe, you know, stop by and say hi to the notable speakers instead of us because... That's uh, true. High five the plenary speakers as they leave. Yeah, you know what? I, as we iron out these details, I think I'm going to post the names in our Slack and then if anybody has uh, questions, specific questions for these people, I think uh, we can definitely have, uh, have some uh, prepared questions to ask them. We're... 
yeah, we're we're looking for questions. So yeah, especially especially for anybody that's in the Slack that he sees a name that they recognize, or even if they don't, and you happen to like look them up and have something you want to ask, we'd love to have kind of more targeted questions for people because of course we're going to have to come up with just a general get to know you type of stuff. But if you have specific things you want to know, I'd love to ask. Yeah, of course we'll come armed with our own questions. But honestly, this is a show for you guys. We want to make sure we're putting on content and producing content that is relevant to you all, human factors practitioners or aspiring human factors practitioners or cognitive scientists or designers or whoever listens to the show. Y'all. We want, y'all, we want to make sure we are asking questions that are relevant to you. So again, uh, you know, help us out. We can, we can definitely uh, throw some... Throw some questions their way. All right, Blake, you know what time it is. What time is it? All right, it's Human Factors News. This is part of the show. <laughs> I'm so excited today, man. It's just a good one. All right, this is where we talk about everything related to the field of Human Factors. This could be anything from, uh, well, anything. Human Factors related. It's fair game. Blake, what do we got up first this week? Up first. So are digital devices altering our brains? I don't know. We're here to break it down. <laughs> We're here to figure it out with you guys. So <laughs> there's, current, there's an ongoing debate about all the gadgets and computers that we use. And obviously they can help us improve our intelligence, but do they also make us stupid and or violent in the process? I don't know. We're here to break it down. (laughs) So about 10 years ago, writer Nicholas Carr published an article in The Atlantic entitled, Is Google Making Us Stupid? And he strongly suspected that the answer was yes, in fact they are. And he accused the internet of radically changing people's brains. Well, yet a couple years later in 2010, psychologist Christopher Charbus then at the Union College, and Daniel J. Simmons of the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign rebutted Carr's view, saying that there's simply no experimental evidence to show that living with new technologies fundamentally changes brain organization in a way that affects one's ability to focus. And the debate continues to go on. So, Nick, this article really focuses on a couple key points that they, like, bring up front. So I was going to read that for the listeners before we dive in. Sure. We're here to break it all down. That sound good? Yeah. Okay. So in brief, the article is kind of making the argument that there's, of course, an an it depends statement. But so we've seen from research that constantly, that by constantly distracting us, the internet affects cognitive performance, but does not radically alter your brain. So it's not changing your brain chemistry or altering radically radically altering how it's put together. Uh, But findings also suggest that although video games and brain training influence aggression and cognitive performance respectively, the extent of that influence is much less than someone would actually think. So in both cases, they're not actually having as big of an impact as it may sound in some of the media or even some papers that we see. So the risk of digital devices might be minimized by educating people in ways that enhance concentration, self-control, and critical thinking skills. And so, Nick, that's probably the best part of this article is they spent a lot of time after each thing they walked through, each like negative aspect of, you know, either video games or interacting with the Internet that it might have on your your cognitive capacity. They were like, well, you can also, you know, train yourself to fix it or not be as impacted by it by putting in strategies in place. But generally, what do you, what do you think about this? I mean, because I know both of us are big video game players, and they kind of make some some not necessarily outlandish, but some pretty big claims about the impact that video games have on people. Yeah, I don't. I um, I guess was I'd imagine that once books became a thing, that the same kind of social argument was brought about. Right? Are these fictional stories ruining children's minds if they can get a hand on it? You know, like I don't know. I. I've, I am under the impression that there is sort of this wave where perhaps the first generation of of people who get exposed to something may sort of experience it 
differently than those who grew up around a technology, right? So I think children today who are experiencing this technology, I don't, I don't think they are experiencing perhaps the same thing that maybe uh, the people who grew up on the digital sort of uh, revolution, if you will, uh, are experiencing now, right? There's a, there's yep. a wide swath. Yeah, and you know the at the very end of the article they talk about that the, the, there's been no giant explosion in the way your brain is kind of processing this processing this inter- information. So there's been no kind of like evolutionary change that's allowing you to process more information. But it I don't think there's been enough time for us to see no. how people's brains are adapting for one, but I definitely think that you you don't necessarily come become super dependent on it, but when it's integrated into your life, like like me versus my parents, for instance, like I rely a lot more on the internet and offload things on my phone. Sure. A lot more than my parents do. Um, but I don't know that that's necessarily making me any less intelligent or any less apt as a, an, a like an adult than, than they were. I think it's just very, it's comparing almost apples and oranges. I think it's almost in a way you are adapting better to the digital environment, right? Because if you think about it, you mentioned offloading information, right? So what, I think in a way that makes you smarter. Why would you, hold, why would you store that information? Why would you store that nugget of knowledge unless it's relevant to your everyday life when you know exactly where to find it? You've indexed it. You know exactly where to go and find it after a certain time, right? Like, oh, hey, this research paper that I know exists, I know sort of the, the high-level gist of it, but if I, I don't need to memorize the methods that's in there. I can go back to it at any time. Uh, likewise with any news story that we've talked about, you know, like, oh, hey, we talked about the, the body scanners at the at the L.A. train station. I know there's body scanners at the L.A. train station. I can go look at I know where we have it. Like, yeah, we can even go back to that episode and revisit the thoughts that we had on it. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Like, And I think it's it's a, it's an interesting kind of thing to think about, too, because. Like, I, I think my brain has gotten to the point where it's like, okay, there's some things I need to remember for either my job or ways that I do things on the podcast or, you know, specific specific dates that are important to me, things that are important to my life. But I think my I think there is an adaption where your brain is now able to say like, okay, I can offload this information and leave it here. So maybe leave it on, leave it to Google or right. wherever. But you're also now being able to know what's important and what you want to remember, what's important to you to remember in store, but you're not losing kind of that extra amplifying information you can go learn. Like I don't, I don't remember everything from like every neuroscience class that I ever took, but I remember the key points. And if there's ever a time where I felt like I needed to know more, you could read scientific papers or search for stuff on the internet. And I think, uh, yeah, I don't know how to phrase this without it coming out. I'm just going to start rambling. So if I make no coherent sense, let's do it. Uh, all right. So I'm thinking about violent video games here. So, okay. Think about it. Like we grew up with violent video games and we can understand the difference between perhaps uh, a violent video game and real life. We can, we can get that distinction. And um, I can see where it would be very easy to look as an outsider looking in and look at sort of a child getting frustrated with the video game and saying really potentially offensive things um, at a video game, it's a fictional environment. I mean, like, they know not to say, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with this because on one hand, like, you should never say offensive things to people, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it, if that person was right in front of you, you would never say offensive things to them. But at the same time, like, if you're just saying it to the screen and they don't hear you, I mean, obviously, like, nothing so obscene, but, like, I don't know. So, <laughs> like you've yelled obscenities at the screen before. Oh, oh yeah. So let's <laughs> let's let's kind of talk about this because this is 
this is such a strange concept for it me really to like reflect on, right? Because you're right, and they mentioned in here like the like a study that really looked at Call of Duty. So something that I've talked about sure. a bunch in this podcast yeah. that I've played probably every franchise they've ever released. You've and probably you, said a thing or two about somebody's well, mom. I've said horrible <laughs> things playing, but and that's <laughs> such a weird thing about playing video games and playing like multiplayer games. Is sure. there is this like. There's this thing that happens where if it, it's like you're you're playing against that person's avatar and they don't feel like a real person and the right. whole culture of like online video gaming you hear some of the worst and most ridiculous and sometimes the most creative insults you can ever think of that are being wielded at each other but by 12 year olds th- yeah by 12 year olds and the funniest thing or it's not the funniest thing the best thing that I think this article did with regard to the video game aspect is they talked about that yes a lot of the science does show that you you can see aggressive tendencies from people that are playing these kind of aggressive video games right. but the po- two important tenets that it brings up is one there may be it may be that people that are aggressive are just more drawn to Call of Duty or Fortnite or whatever yeah, it, it could is be a could just be a, a personal thing but also too you can't rely on like some of these more aggressive behaviors that you're measuring in a lab such as like making somebody swallow a lot of hot sauce as an action you could select right that's not analogous to something that happens in the real world right so it there there's such limitations to the, what the studies are finding because they're not able to replicate real world repercussions or real world actions if that makes sense yeah yeah I, I don't know I just like if 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 you hear me saying something offensive to the screen I'm mad in the moment but like seriously, if I was if I was uh, in the moment with another person, I would never say that because I know I understand that they are another human being. I feel like that is probably ninety five percent of people who play video games, and the other two percent, you know, go to other streamers' houses and shoot them and bomb squads and and all that stuff. You know, like which like it's important that's that's one percent, one to two percent of people that that happens to with however many right. millions of people that are playing video games. Right, but I mean it's the same kind of phenomenon where you cover airplane crashes because it happens so rarely hey let's look at this and sort of overinflated in the media you don't get sure. you know you don't get coverage of the 12 year old yelling at his screen like it, it you know but then proceeding to be n- a nice person to somebody else like you don't get coverage of that yeah i mean that's of course that that doesn't really make news headlines right like the showing showing the the realistic view of something that somebody what somebody does in their own home in their own free time and then them being you know a normal person when you interact with them in the real world or if they interact with their family is not the biggest depiction here see looking at you blake i would never guess that you would be sort of an aggressive person when you play call of duty yeah, and, and I'm, I'm really not because usually I'm just giggling like a schoolgirl <laughs> when I'm playing Call of Duty. But like so, me and some of my friends, we would get into it with each other, it, like yelling at each other across the room and stuff like that. But it, it was always all in fun. Right, right, right. I mean, the so, other players know that you're just jesting with them. Yeah, or it's, or it's just mean 12-year-olds that make you not want to play anymore, so you just turn the console off. I mean, right. That's what happens. So the question remains, Blake, is technology altering the way your brain thinks? The the real answer that I have is not an answer at all because I really don't know. Uh, sometimes I worry about my own attention span or my ability to retain as much information as I as I used to be able to. But I think at the same time that I'm much more cognizant about when I go to work or if I'm doing something important, I use the modes like in Google Chrome of blocking out everything, don't send me notifications, turn my phone off or in airplay mode. Yeah. So I think my my mind has adapted strategies that allow me that this article talks a lot about that allow me to kind of get away from the distracting elements that come with either 
the internet or your phone or like if it's video games like not having them where you need to work and that kind of kind of stuff or budgeting time to do like mess around with social media play video games or you know code whatever it is right yeah i would say that it's not necessarily alter it's it's altering my behavior to sort of take advantage of technology in this the the ways that we talked about right offloading information being able to retrieve that information at a later date um also optimizing processes in your daily life um and in that regard i think that is altering your brain just in in terms of how you think about the world and i don't think it's altering it in the way that this article is suggesting right potentially like um in in a negative sense or or um that's the word I'm looking for. I, I don't I don't I perceive it as a good thing that we are adapting with technology and I'll leave it at that. No, and I think I think <laughs> <laughs> No, I think I think that definitely makes sense. And the article it does kind of like a halfway job of giving you an answer like one or the other about which way it goes. Because it basically pre- presents the results of a lot of research, ultimately saying that Yes, there are like technologies out there and it can have adverse effects if you let it, if you don't, right. if you let it kind of control what you're doing at all times. And yeah, you've, you kind of, to put it like a blunt way, you've kind of lost the game. But in another, in another sense, like you have the option to scale it back or use it as it's useful to you. Yeah. Hey, I'll give you one other technology. Oh, well, it's talking about digital devices, but never mind. I was going to say, hey, one other technology that altered the way we think, the written language. Take that. Boom! Got him. All right, what's up next? All right, so DARPA, of course, is one brain interfaces for abled body warfighters. So, until now, the neuroscience programs at DARPA, a.k.a. the Mad Science Wing of the Department of Defense, have focused on technologies for warfighters who have returned home with disabilities of the body or the brain. For example, programs have funded research on prosthetic limbs that are wired to the nervous system and brain implants that could treat post-traumatic stress disorder. But the way the military fights wars is changing, and so must DARPA's priorities. So at a conference last week to celebrate DARPA's 60th anniversary, officials described the the next frontier of neuroscience research, technologies for able-bodied soldiers that give them super abilities. So the next generation non-surgical neurotechnology, aka N3, program will fund research on tech that can transmit high fidelity signals between the brain and some external machine without requiring the user to be cut open or for rewiring or implantation now as it is traditional with all the things that we have from darpa this sounds so futuristic and warfighter i can hardly believe it this is cool i I like this a whole lot i mean this is very science fictiony you put on a, a helmet and uh, have it be able to augment sort of your your performance. Um, I've talked about on the show about sort of these moral dilemmas that I experience working in the defense industry of not getting too close to pulling the trigger, right? And so I, I, uh, I'm i going to struggle talking about this just a little bit. Um, I know there are applications beyond pulling the trigger with this, but whenever you talk about Warfighter, that gets really close for me. Um, sure. And so with this, I can think about sort of this, uh, like we were talking about in the last story, workload management or um, perhaps uh, taking orders uh, in different from different modalities and acting on those orders, right, without having to um, take away from the physical task that they're doing. They can just kind of uh, use their mind to control it in some way. I don't know. It's it, there's there's some cool applications that I'm thinking of. Uh, this is me just spitballing. 
Um, curious on your thoughts, though. So it's it's an interesting take because, like Nick, I'm not very big on being part of the pull the trigger process. I understand that that exists in the world, and I I understand there's a need to research and under, and have better technology for the warfighter, and that is something I can support. I just don't. I have such a moral dilemma when it comes to helping design it or helping have inputs into it. But the cool thing about this specific project is it is going to have consumer applications. And especially because like we're talking about now augmenting humans without adding something like a neural link or adding a brain implant or even like having to cut somebody open. You so, know this is just the first step though, right? Like they once they see what can be done with this like and they say, "Oh, hey, the the throughput can be tripled if you have a neural link." Uh, then everyone's going to get neural links at birth. Wait, yeah, I think it <laughs> I think it goes like a it it they figure out how to go the non-invasive route, so it's just something they have to swallow or an injection they have to go or right. they have to take, and then it goes that kind of like nanotechnology route. And then to augment oh, that, yeah. the neural link is actually allowing you to take in the bandwidth of AI and attach that to your brain. I think that's the combo that is the winning ticket for DARPA or for even just augmenting humans in general. Um, but that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, so we actually kind of talked about um, some of this last week i don't remember if it was this episode it's all blending together or if it was infinite but with the uh with the controlling drones with the mine yeah um, we got we got a little farther into that in the infinite episode okay yeah so that that's one of the applications that they're saying here is that um that's kind of one of their goal is to be able to control a drone with this device that this eeg or, or whatever you know and, and that's kind of their end state for this first run of um of tests uh but it's a four-year program that they're looking to get into with this so i i don't know it's cool yeah i want to see at the at the end of the four years because i I don't they're not of course they're not going to release a whole lot about how like how the tracks are going to run but they do talk about the non-invasive tracks so this is this is more so the um no sorry what i'm more interested in is actually the minutely invasive so this is this is a little bit this is something they made up right so it's it's coming down to some form of injection or taking a pill or even a nasal spray that is giving you these kind of nanotechnologies, what they are imagining might be nanotransducers to really impact how your neurons are firing and help convert those electrical signals when they fire to another type of signal that's being picked up by a machine somewhere else. And then, you know, being able to augment either your movement, what you can hear, what you can see, those type of things. And so that kind of technology seems like it could have a lot of implications for even just the workplace in general, make you more productive potentially. Um, yeah. So I, w- I want to see where that goes. Now, of course, it goes down a scary rabbit hole, but I think this this plays well into the, the Neuralink conversation we were having a second ago is like, will this be something that allows us to kind of catch up with the, with the AI world to have that bigger bandwidth, the, be- the better ability to process information quicker? And will this kind of application like be over and above something that we're seeing now with like neural implants or brain implants. Sure. Yeah. This to me reminds me of a concept that I read about way back when, uh, and it's basically like virtual reality, but, but your senses are masked by these nanobots. Uh, so that way you still sense and feel like you're in a physical environment. Um, but all that input is just nano robots in your system. You're literally laying on a table, uh, and, and all the, um, all the things that are going on are happening 
because of these these robots. But you're laying still, but you still feel like you're doing everything. I don't know. I, I can see something like that being used in a situation where um, perhaps stealth is required or, you know, and, and they need to control uh, these these drones or something where they can't necessarily be moving around or something. I don't know. Or helps you animate uh, like a robot avatar of yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for rehabilitation purposes. That could be cool. That like, would be really neat. Because it, it, that's, that's a strange concept in and of itself, but like, w- would that give somebody potentially their life back, right? Well, it depends, right? So, like, it depends. Yeah, so, uh, think about this, though. Like, somebody who's completely paralyzed from the neck down, uh, they don't have the sensation or can't have the sensation of walking ever again. Um, hopefully, medicine will get there, but if we have this technology... Then they could experience it again, and it would be in virtual environments, but it would still be something that we could give them. And uh, whether or not people would want to live that way, that's their choice. Um, But I can see that as being a really positive application of something like this, right? We're talking about going beyond the DARPA realm here. Um, But, I mean, it it still could be related to the warfighter in in the sense of, like, rehabilitation and and sort of this this cognitive mental health... um, issue with with coming back from the battlefield yeah i mean to play on some of the technology they've used and techniques they've used and i think vr is one of them i mean this could again be another way to simulate ways that they can go through like cognitive behavioral therapy or treatments for ptsd like there's just a wide range of applications it's an awesome article i'm glad you pulled it Oh, thanks, man. Well, I'm glad I pulled it, too, because we want to thank all of our friends over at Engadget, TechCrunch, IEEE, uh, and Scientific American for all of our stories this week. If you guys want to follow along, you can join us on social media or join us in our Slack for links to the original particles. We post those as we find them. Uh, We will be back to break down the rest of the stories right after. Hang on. There's the fader. This. Human Factors Cast strives to bring you the best in Human Factors chatter every week. We pack news, interviews, reviews, and overall fun conversations into each and every product that we put our seal of approval on. But we can't do it without you. You see, the Human Factors Cast network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running this show come from the listeners. That's why we're giving back to our supporters on Patreon, now more than ever. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like 24-7 access to our exclusive Human Factors Cast Slack channel, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Cast Infinite, a Patreon-only podcast where the topic is human factors, etc. We're always updating our rewards, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you all, and remember, it depends. All right, thanks, Mom. Okay, Blake, what do we got? <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Ms. Rome. <laughs> that was what do we got up next? All right, so SpaceX is back out again. So it's been too long without any kind of outlandish news from any any of Elon Musk's companies, but SpaceX has filled the void with the announcement of a newly redesigned BFR spacecraft and the news that it will fly around the moon with a soon-to-be-named first passenger. Whenever they get around to actually engineering and building the thing, anyway. So the tourist name will actually be announced this evening. Uh, and who will it be? Well, likely a bil- some sort of billionaire. But, unfortu- but unfortunately, they'll have to wait a long, long time for this to actually come around. By the time the BRF is up and running, space tourism, though perhaps not round-the-moon trips, may well, very well be go- have been going on for years. So... 
Nick, this thing looks <laughs> it looks so futuristic the redesign of the BRF rocket that they've gone gone through. But I I think the thing that's more incredible to me is we're talking about potentially and w- definitely within our lifetimes where they're going to start uh, real space tourism. For some reason I thought this would take so much longer to ever become a real thing. Yeah, this is cool. I really uh, it's your boy Elon Musk again. I know he's just uh, he's, after he's getting himself in trouble, he's got to yeah. launch something quick. I don't know. I so I have mixed feelings on Elon Musk. I have so many mixed feelings on that guy. But but uh, the fact that we are getting into the era of space tourism is really neat. Even though it's super expensive right now, still, right? You and I could never afford it with our human factors cast bucks. No, nope. because um, we got zero of those. <laughs> uh, hey, there's a Patreon. We just played that commercial. Uh, so. <laughs> We, we want to go to space. Come we want to go. Yeah, help. help help us fund a trip to space for one of us. Uh, Blake, you volunteer? I do not want to go to space. You don't? I would go. Go. I would go. That would be that'd be so much fun. You, yeah. You went mountain biking for your thirtieth birthday. I yeah. want to go to space. Okay. Well, let's try and send next right. to space, yeah. everybody. There we go. All right. So uh, yeah, this is this is neat because for a variety of reasons, um, space tourism is basically going to space because we can. Right up until this point. Um, Space has very much been defense-focused or uh, information-focused. This is just, I want to go to space just because I can. I'm trying to go to space. And and what that does is it opens up space. It, it, it uh, makes it available to those who couldn't go before. And to me, that is beautiful because space is, it, it's really cool. Yeah, it's it's almost <laughs> I can't articulate. Well, it's like it's kind of changed what it was when I was a kid because you used to always call it the final frontier, like the very last thing we'd ever get into. But now it it seems like the, the next, next frontier. The, yeah, the general next step. Cuz I mean, it's okay, it's great that we're talking about space tourism and I think it's it's absolutely fantastic. And I mean, I'm not talking about going to the moon, even breaking atmosphere and just being in space for a few minutes then returning would be amazing in and of itself but we've also got kind of plans across like elon musk blue origin other companies that are getting into rocket building that are much more in the tech scene of trying to go to mars and then seeing what what happens with mars do we try and colonize it what what's what's what goes on from there so it's it's almost like space is just going to become i don't know i think the next place that we really see a lot of technology going yeah so this this is gonna okay. I'm I'm trying to organize my thoughts here. So this is gonna be cool for so many reasons. One, this so when you go to space just for the hell of it, and because somebody wants to pay you to go to space, you have new challenges that were not existent before. Um, think about the folks who go up on on spacecraft now. Uh, they are going up on basically the bare essentials. Um, you really have to make do with the things that you have up there. We did a whole human factors on space uh, episode from HFES a couple years ago um, where, you know, they, they were talking about how you have to be, uh, you have to have a variety of skills and you have to sort of organize a space in such a way that you maximize storage and, and maximize the way that you interact with the space station. All that's out the window with space tourism because with space tourism, you are building for the comfort of the passenger, and that opens up a whole new swath of challenges, right? How do you open up this space while still providing enough of the resources required to get you around the moon? How do you sort of open up this space to make it comfortable for the passenger? Um, and with that, then potentially we can transfer that knowledge onto other spacecraft, 
Um, maybe not though, because I mean, if you look at like naval ships, right, they're still very compact. They have to fit a lot of stuff on those things. Uh, whereas like luxury cruise lines are a little different, right? They still have a lot of room on them. There are these sort of lavish areas and, and everybody gets a cabin that's fairly spacious. Um, but you know, they could be roughly the same size. So I'm thinking about those types of challenges, right? If we can, um, make everything small, miniaturize everything, uh, and keep that technology on board, uh, while still providing enough room for the passengers to lounge around, if you will, like a sun deck, that'd be cool. Sun deck on the spaceship. Yeah, it'd be amazing. <sighs> and I think that kind of consideration, because you're, you're going to obviously have to have a crew who will probably likely live in the same kind of quarters they do now, just like very minimalist, sure. that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I, I think that's why we're seeing for, at least from SpaceX's point of view, this is going to be like a single tourist that will be going. Yeah, so to maybe test out and see, okay, what extra things can we actually build on a spacecraft to accommodate one person then has that expand to multiple? Yeah, I'm curious as to who this first person is going to be. So as of the time of this recording, we are recording at 4.30 on a, on a Monday, on the Monday that they're actually announcing this. So we yeah. won't know during this podcast. We could potentially know during our Infinite episode. So if you want to find out what we think of that, uh, join us for the after show party for sure. There you go. Um we actually have the live stream up right here. We're ready to go with it. We're uh, he tweeted out a, a picture of a Japanese flag, which could be indicative of who the passenger is going to be. Um, so I I don't know. Uh, is a Japanese flag emoji? So um, yeah, we have no idea about the mission or the person. Um, just that it is a trip around the moon, and that it will introduce a variety of different challenges. Um, I don't know. Do they have a date on this as to when they were going to? Uh, Honestly, they don't because, I mean, they're they're talking about using the, a redesigned aircraft. So that that's what a lot of this article is about. It focuses on kind of the futuristic designs that you see of the BRF spacecraft and then kind of the analogies that are being drawn from old comics and things like that. And people, of course, poking fun out of it fun at it and then they they also mentioned in the article too that by the time the brf is actually up and running space tourism may have been going on for a while okay well i mean this first person has signed on they're paid um and we're also finding out the why and i think that could be interesting right we're we're all speculating and of course by the time this airs everyone will know who this person is and why um so this this is a time capsule blake of of you and i's thoughts before it's it's we're stuck in time between when they announced this and who we found out it is. I don't think it's going to be, I, I don't know. I, I struggle to think it's going to be anyone noteworthy, but it could be. Yeah, it's not going to be Jack Nicholson going to space for the first time. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. If it's a scientist, that, that gives me kind of hope. I, I don't think a scientist has this kind of money to blow though. I mean, who knows? James I don't know. Cameron. Bill, my, Bill Nymite. Who knows? Oh, it's James Cameron. It's totally going to be James Cameron. I'm calling it now. Well, there you go. James if Cameron. It's, if it's James Cameron to film Avatar five on the moon that would make sense that would make a ton of sense yep he's going to the moon oh no he's gonna do a remake of uh of the moon landing and and uh do it live on the moon oh how cool would that be oh man my nerd my nerd brain just like went everywhere just exploded uh all right so (laughs) let's steer it back I gotta say i i'm really excited to see what this spacecraft looks like when it's done just from being like a kind of aerospace nerd on the inside because I know a lot of their their current rockets like the Dragon and whatnot they they self-launch and then return right and so this will be a kind of a completely different design uh, or at least it looks like it it looks it looks very much closer to the space shuttle 
um, that you see from like Challenger and stuff like that. So I, I don't know. It, it's go, it'll probably interact and fly very differently than what we've seen from SpaceX. So that'll be a cool thing to, to see once, once like picture, once real pictures start coming out right now, it's all concept art. Right, it's concept art. It does look like a space shuttle. It doesn't look like it could be fit for reentry through the methods that, uh, you know, we've seen SpaceX's Falcon uh, rocket. Which we know, like, the, the traditional methods of reentry have produced problems in the past. And how you deal with that right. when, when we're talking, like, a commercial aspect is going to be really important. So what, how, they're, how they're incorporating human factors engineers into the, the, the launch and kind of re-entry process what that means for the human body and then also just aerospace engineering in general is gonna it's gonna be a feat that when it's done it's gonna be almost unbelievable yeah this thing looks pretty beefy too this doesn't look like uh this looks like a big ship yeah it looks like something i don't know it looks like it really looks like something out of a video game or a a james cameron film yeah Uh, i'm calling it now it's james cameron uh, he has the money to throw around, and he'd have reason to go. Um, Avatar 12. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, why don't we get into that last news story? All right. So the last story of the week, Apple's Watch 4 is taking a health-centric health-centric to a new level, thanks to a new electronic heart sensor built into the back side of the watch. The watch... The, the Watch Series 4 can, not o- can now not only detect a low heart rate, but also act as an electrocardiogram, an ECG. So that means they can sense a dangerous condition known as an arterial fibrillation and warn you to talk to your doctor about it. So the Watch Series 4 has received clearance from the FDA and is now the first, to, first over-the-counter ECG app offered directly to consumers. And Apple also unveiled another interesting but completely different safety feature for the watch. Thanks to a new accelerometer and gyroscope, it can detect when you slip or fall. And it detects not only your downward motion, but also if your arms are flying up in the air, which is typically a defensive stance. So in other words, it's a new, more high-tech version of the life call, I've fallen and I can't get up device. Nick, I don't know. These sensors that we're able to wear and put on our body are continually blowing me away. And I think Apple's making a lot of smart moves by continuing, continually trying to integrate more and more of that technology into their very popular smartwatch at this point. That that also allows like a lot of you know tech functionality similar to what you can see what you can do on your phone. But in this case, it's also adding a lot of health benefits or health monitoring benefits to the design. Sure. Yeah. So what's smart about this announcement is that. Uh, this technology we've talked about on the show before. We've talked about this several times on the show. The, the smart thing about this technology is that they're now bringing it to consumers. And the consumers now have this technology built into their devices that we have sort of you know, talked about, the technology to read falls and heart problems before. Uh, now it's just elevating those, and they're designing around that information display, right? Uh, they're also designing around potentially providing a way to call for help if you have fallen down and you can't get up. Um, so there's, sorry, I just thought of a good B-roll. I'm going <laughs> to do it. Well, <laughs> we'll think about it. So this could be, this could play well for a lot of people. It could play well for me. Like, let's say I had, oh my goodness, <laughs> I had gone mountain biking and I had this device on and I had fallen badly. And you well, can't get up. And I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't get up. Potentially, if I could still, oh, you know, move lie. my arms or interact with the watch, I could have called for help. I mean, this is all dependent on GPS and all sorts of stuff. But if it can determine and read kind of your body signals and give you an indication of where you are in space, maybe it can make that determination for you. And also, too, it could 
kind of help the an, an aging population get past kind of the stigma that comes with having these like life alert devices or I've fallen and I can't get up buttons that you press to hang around your neck because now it's in like a sleek smartwatch. Um, now that 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 kind of like leaves it to be said, if they want to get you know super savvy with playing with their i i watch or whatnot or apple watch but still it's another way to kind of save lives yeah um i i'm excited about this announcement i think it is great a lot of people have the apple watch or are on the fence about the apple watch uh i know anecdotally there's been some talk at least in my household about switching over to the apple watch not me personally i'm not an apple guy but uh others in the household are thinking about switching over to the apple watch because they're unhappy with fitbit and um you know, I, I I see the benefit to to having a, a lot of these functionalities built in. I mean, sure, it, it's just it it just makes sense. I I don't know why it's as big of a deal as it is. It just makes sense to me. Yeah, I I think it also will help push push the direction that you see, like Fitbit or even any of the other companies that make kind of smart technology with regard to like wrist watches. It'll It'll push what people are going to keep putting into them, what, how intense the sensors are, what they can really read, what they can pick up, and how they start interacting with your doctor, with you, maybe with like whatever you're eating, that all that kind of stuff. I think it's a great integration of technology in a in a time where I, I think it's good to get us moving and keep track of what what's happening inside of our own bodies. Yeah, I yeah, I don't know. I have nothing. I have nothing. This is cool. Splendid. All right, Nick. What else do we have? It came from. It came from. That's it. Came from Reddit. That's that part of the show. That's what we have, Blake. Yes. This is where we search all over Reddit to bring you topics that the community is talking about. Any topic is fair game as long as it relates to the field of human factors. And the second criteria, it has to encourage discussion amongst us, the community, the human factors community, us, we, us, the, this community thing Damn. that we're talking to. Yes. Uh, so Blake, we got a couple here. Um, I'm not sure you, you pulled a couple this week. I have not had a chance to look at these, so I'm going to just go on. Let's see. One, two or three. What do you think? Okay. So one, I guess is answering a, a job question prompt. So I'm a little, <laughs> I'm a little hesitant now to actually read that one. Okay. Uh, let's go. Ah, shoot. Let's go two. I like two. Do it. Let's go. All two. right. So what this is, this is guide to user interviews. Uh, this is written by deadbeats on the blah, blah, blah subreddit. The, I'm sorry, user experience subreddit here. Uh, I am looking to kick off a small user interview project, polling 10 to 20 users about their habits using our product along with some shadowing. Um, I'm looking for some well-regarded resources on best practices, templates, etc., that can inform my process and ensure I'm asking the right questions to build a better product. All right, Blake, what are those right questions and products and all that stuff? Well, I'm going to have to say that you've come to the right place. Human Factors oh, Cast knows the answers, uh, but it's going to be It Depends. Hey, but at look the at same that. All time, right. I am... Well, that's going to be it for today, everyone. I'm just kidding. Wait, outro <laughs> no music. no answers that's it for, for today. Anybody. Let's get out of here. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay. So, or, all right. So, this is really cool to actually, to actually see that they, they're considering a small user interview project to be 10 to 20 people. That is amazing. I'm super excited they, that they are that ambitious or they have great access to their own user population. Yeah, that's crazy. I 
I wish I had access to 10 to 20 people. My goodness, we'd be just breaking the world if we did. But the here's the interesting thing that I'm catching from this. So it, it sounds like they're going to do an interview, but also maybe pull and potentially do a little bit of a survey on people's habits with a specific product, along with shadowing somebody. So maybe more of an immersive study versus just just an interview or anything like that. So you might want to think about the order in which you're doing those. Cause if you're, if you're going to kind of pull out and ask questions about habits themselves, it'd be good to kind of target the users that you need to for your specific product, have those questions answered and use that to gauge what you're going to be trying to evaluate or watch for while people are interacting with your product or potentially scenarios you need to put them in. If you know there are problem areas with your product currently, in terms of interviews, it's really going to depend on what are you looking for? What are the research questions that you have or goals you have for the study or what are the outcomes that you need? Does your product need to be updated? Are you having a lot of people calling into support saying, hey, I can't use X, Y, or Z feature? The, the right questions is really built around what is your end goal and what do you need to determine from this specific study, which sounds like you're going to run three very important or sorry, not run, but use three very important methods to try and, you know, improve your product. So more power to you, but definitely work and spend time defining the goals with your product teams or what you need to change about the product or what you need to learn about it in order to kind of help and produce something new and better. Yes. But Nick, what's your opinion? Uh, well, I think you're onto something really great here with uh, actually shadowing them. I've always been an advocate for contextual inquiry. I think that is probably one of the best ways in which you can actually see the user. You, I hate using the word user so much. I, the Use different word. only way you can see the person who is participating in interacting with your product. The human. The human. It's the only way. It's the best way to see the human interact with your product and get sort of the challenges that they are experiencing external to your product. Is there a workflow that you are engaged or that your person is engaging in that is requiring them to go outside of your site for some reason? Um, you don't get that type of information just from the, the kind of um, polls that you would potentially get back, right? Some surveys or whatever. Or so, even like built-in analytics. You can't get, you that can't only get, tells yeah. you maybe where a problem is, but to really understand the depth of the problem, you almost, you have to do this last step they're talking about of the shadowing or contextual inquiry, which you talked about. Yeah, I love, uh, um, I love contextual inquiry and I would not do it any other way. But if I, I think there are some limitations, obviously, like you can't do contextual inquiry all the time. Right. So you have to sort of develop these surveys and tools in which to um, to sort of interrogate the way they use this product. And the best way that I would recommend to do that is kind of reverse engineer uh, what you need. Right. So think about what your end product looks like, what are you presenting to who and why, um, what information are you trying to get, and then build questions around that and see if you can derive that data. Does it make sense? Uh, that's the way I would approach it. Yeah, the only thing that's going to change any of the, any of what Nick and I have talked about is if you're if you're trying to launch a product to target a whole new set of people. And even then, you're still going to ask the same very questions, but a lot of like how to design... Because like, the, the biggest question in this kind of what's a guide to user interviews, right, is what are the right questions to ask? Well, it's really going to be dependent on what the pro what the problem is now, if it exists, or what your goal is as a team. What are you trying to do with your product? Yep. Good. Yep. yep. Good. All right. Let's get out of here. Let's always oh, have the fader down. All right. We're out of here. <laughs> That's going to be it for today, guys. Let us know what you guys think of the stories this week. I love the space tourism idea. I love that thing. 
Uh, let me know what your thoughts on space tourism is. That's cool. You can you can let us know on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter at HFactor Podcast. Leave us a comment on our SoundCloud about space tourism or anything else. Uh, you can also send us an email at humanfactorscast at gmail.com or tell us what you think about space tourism at uh, 901-646-1432. That's 901-646-1HFC. Uh, be sure to like, subscribe, review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, or whatever your pod- favorite podcast directory is. I'm going to start calling it Podcast Directory. Favorite Podcast Directory? I don't know. It's, I'm on a we'll good one. We'll see if that catches on. Yeah, we'll see. All right. If you want to join the after show party, we're going to be talking about Elon Musk's, or I guess the first passenger to do space tourism. Yeah. Uh, you can you can join us at our Patreon at patreon.com slash humanfactorscast. And of course, I, I conflated the two words there. And of course, you can always reach us at our home on the web, humanfactorscast.com. I want to thank my co-host for hanging out with me today and dealing with me being a little difficult on the show today. <laughs> Where can our listeners go and talk to you if they want to talk about brain interfaces? You thought I was going to say space tourism. If you guys want to talk about how difficult Nick was today, you can find me at Don't Panic UX across social media. Great. Special thanks to Jeff Olson for our video editing this week. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me being a jerk all over social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning into Human Factors Cast. And until next time, it, it depends. depends. You know, you got to keep it light and fun or else it gets boring. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft. These are all examples of highly technical systems and organizations and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do are safe when they do so and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners and on 1202 The Human Factors Podcast they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media and on your favourite podcast directory because it's more than just common sense.